Welcome to Last Call, powered by Speakeasy for Sport. I'm your host, Jamie and Christian, and today we are joined by Jesse Washington, ESPN writer and Anscape provider. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I love it. I'm fired up. You know, one of the things that I love is, is getting a chance to read your articles and just feeling your passion for basketball. Uh, can you talk a little bit about just to our to our listeners about where your passion for hoops came from and, and how it, uh, how it works out into your work? Man, I think my passion for basketball came from a higher power because ever since I was a kid, it was just obsessed with it. And I didn't even come from a basketball family. You know, my dad was an artist. He painted pictures and he didn't really wasn't interested in sports. But, you know, all the playgrounds in and around the community where I grew up in in upstate New York. And then when I went to college, I just was playing basketball every day. When I went to high school, playing every day in the gym and then went to college and was just playing every day in the gym. I think the assistant coaches needed a, a warm body or something. They were like, hey, you, you with the jump shot, <laughs> come with us. And then I'm on the team. You know, I'm playing <laughs> with guys who'd end up in the NBA. That's where it all started. It's continued to the man, Jamie. I'm sore from from busting up these high school kids last night at the local <laughs> court. So that's what that's what I do. And then, like, if you love something, it comes out in your work. And I'm very fortunate at Anscape to get to write about basketball all the time about coaches, about athletes, about the game itself. And, you know, it really connects to my life and the things that I care about. And I hope that that helps the work be better. Yeah, it's it's beautiful work. And, you know, one of the things that, that I loved was social media wise, watch you go out there and play guys one on one. Uh, you know, I love the, the love the notion of it. You know, there's been many times that I've like had someone respond to me on Twitter that I was like, all right, well, let's just go out here and let's just keep it real. Let's just put our shoes on. Let's play one on one, you know, and you got a chance to do that a few times. I did, man. You know, Jamie, I, I think if I was so fortunate in my career to like win the Nobel Prize or something, yeah. people would still know that video first because, you know, it was a moment. I got to say it was a moment. I mean, I was writing this article about how James Harden plays for fouls and how in the kind of spots where where we hoop at, you can't do that. Right. Like you might get got after the game, during the game, something might go down if you're always begging for fouls. And I knew that when we put the story out on social media, people would be critiquing, okay, Jess, who are you to criticize James Harden? And and that's a good point. You know, I'm, I'm a nobody. He's one of the greatest players in the world. But just to have some fun, anybody who was tweeting at me, I was like, all right, you say my game is whack. Let's play one-on-one. You could come and find out yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and And one guy took the bait and to be honest with you man I could have caught an L you know I'm 53 years old at the time of this video I was not much younger than I am now and on the way over there I said to the producer yeah man it might be time for humility to set in (laughs) Uh, but as you know in order to be good at this game you have to have a confidence about yourself and you have to have a you know sort of build things up in your mind so when we showed up I saw homeboy take one shot and I knew it was curtains you know how it is (laughs) Javion yeah you know how it is you see a guy, all they got to do is take one shot. He was he was a good bit shorter than me. And so I just, you know, he had to get it, man. He had to get it. But it was fun, man. The video was cool, you know, and people, a lot of people have seen it. And I'm glad they have. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I love I love the idea of it, though, is like, you know, as a hooper, 
yo, let's just go out here and compete. Like I might lose. You know what I mean? I mean, there's so much of the nature of basketball is going out on a Saturday or Sunday. There's 30 people on the court. You've got a chance to play. If you lose two times, you're done because you got to sit an hour between games. You know, so so much of basketball is being a competitor. So to have a, a writer who shares that that level of competition is really special. Thanks, man. And, you know, I respect it in the people that I write about. You know, and I understand it and I feel it. And so I think that for those of us who are hoopers and bring that experience to journalism, you know, I think it helps the work, man. And I think it helps us understand what these athletes go through and what these coaches go through and what it's like to have to do the things that they do, how hard it is really, you know. And and um, I also think that that competitive aspect of it and to care about something so much that you work and work and work to perfect that craft, I think that that really you know, it gives me an advantage, I think, in this job. And also, it's something that people who, you know, a lot of times before you interview somebody, they're going to Google you up. And so they know I could play or could play at one point, you know, that gives you credibility in their eyes. And it helps them to speak to you on a level that they may not speak to someone who didn't play the game. Yeah, something that I've been really fascinated with, um, you know, over the last few months, as I've been observing media and learning more about media, is this notion about being a fan of basketball and being a hooper who covers basketball. And I know now we're kind of characterized that as new media versus old media, whatever. I don't necessarily understand that term uh, to, to the letter because I think it's so much more about that. Uh, a hooper who's covering media versus a fan who's covering media. Talk a little bit about the differences and perspective. Man, there's a lot, I think, you know, so number one, you don't have to have played to do a good job playing, but you have to understand your role, you know, like anybody on the court and everything comes down to a basketball analogy for people like us, you know? So it's like, if you understand your lane and you stay there and don't try to do too much, then we can accept that. You know, if you can't shoot, don't be launching threes and you can be still be on my team and you could still play D and you could still hustle and you could still give us extra possession. But there's a few of us in the media who understand the game from a player's perspective. And again, Jamie, I'm like, I've, I've scored, I scored two points in my college varsity career, you know, but I've laced them up against pros, you know, on playgrounds all over the world. And so people respect that and it brings a different perspective. And in the media, I think right now, there are a lot of people the barrier to entry for being quote unquote media is a lot lower because we all have a keyboard and a social media account. And you've got a lot of people, you know, who love basketball and are fans of basketball. And then they want to write about basketball and create content around basketball. And basketball right now is a black game. You can't really separate black culture, style, attitude, fashion, ways of thinking from the game itself at every level. Now there's tons of great players of all nationalities, but black culture really dominates and is intertwined with basketball. So if you've got a guy who comes to, to create content around the NBA and isn't from that, then they might not get it. And you can really feel that, you know, and, and it, it's, it's a feel and a sensibility that you have to bring to it. Now there's plenty of white dudes or non-black dudes who, who are in this basketball space who I think are dope. Like Rob Perez on Twitter, great follow. He sort of understands things, you know what I mean? There's other people I think who do it in a really uh, dehumanizing way, 
particularly those who just write about players, and, and this is more at a college and MBA level, as if they are assets, commodities, almost like stocks and bonds to be traded and swapped and, and all that. Like, I don't really go for the whole salary cap thing and all of that. Like, I'm just interested in when the whistle blows, what's going to happen. I am interested in what they wear to the game, though. I got I to gotta <laughs> admit that. So, you know, I think that for those of us, and again, I want to emphasize, Anybody can come to this game of ours. The game belongs to everybody, but you got to understand the space that you're in and how you're doing it. If you're not black and you come to this, this, this game and want to participate, cool, man. You can play, you can write, you can create content, but understand who you are and what you bring to it and what you don't know and do it in a respectful way. Yeah, I think what, and I think uh, I'm going to give you two things here. I think what people don't realize about Hoopers is like we're master manipulators. You know, the best players know how to manipulate the game. And we talk about in terms of media, when you bring a new media member in, they know how to manipulate the new media. Um, and, and that's so dangerous right now, because like you said, those gaps right now are not as far away as they used to be. Um, and the feeling of not trusting the media with, from the player standpoint is not where it used to be. So the master manipulators kind of get, gets a newbie on board and they can manipulate a lot of things on the Internet. They can manipulate a lot of ways things are said, a lot of, the, a lot of ways things are viewed. And that manipulation is what makes it makes it hard to know what's truth versus what people want me to believe. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, that's spoken like a true point guard and a coach, Jamie. So I, I see you with that, you know. Um, I mean, I would urge all of us as consumers to be really mindful of what, like this quote-unquote sources said is one of the most dangerous developments that we have on the internet because a lot of times it's just not true. And a, if you say sources said, that could be, you know, um, a tweet that you read somewhere else. So I think as consumers of media, we have to hold myself and, and you and everyone else who provides information to a high standard. How do you know that? Tell me how you know that. Instead of saying a source, say, you know, someone in the team's front office or uh, a, a teammate or an agent or something like that. You know, uh, I think that there's a big responsibility that we have in media to do that. And so the manipulation of it is super important. And, you know, I'm glad that I think one of the best developments is folks such as yourself becoming media and giving it to us, giving information to us with credibility and a resume behind it and things like that. Like this democratization of media where more people have platforms is a great, great thing. Yeah, it, it's it's gonna hopefully it'll take where the sources have to reveal themselves a little bit you know you can kind of tell like who the sources are for for the nba players because they'll be on their shows <laughs> so, <laughs> so you start to figure out like wait a minute you start to connect some of the some of the dots some about you know who is connected with who um but i think i agree with you i think i feel like it's so dangerous and not just in sport media but in media in general not having to put your name behind what you say um, yeah, man, we had a rule, man, when I, ca I came up with the Associated Press, man, we had rules and regulations and there was an ethos and a history and a, and, a, and a code of honor behind it. And one of our rules was you can't quote an anonymous source just giving an opinion. Like, think about it, man, if I'm going to criticize you and not put my name behind it, like, now nah, well, you got to give some facts. You know, if, if you're going to be quoted anonymously, it can't just be like, man, that dude can't coach. Like, that's just an opinion. Like, we can get that from anywhere. So I do think that the sources, we have to be a lot more upfront about, about who they are. And yeah, man, like, you know, if you really believe something and want to stand on it, then say who you are. And if, and if you're not brave enough to do that, keep it to yourself, I think. 
Yeah, it, it's again, it all goes back. I Man, I love how you how you phrase it all about like knowing your role and knowing your role within it. And again, I'm going to keep going back to this notion. You know, we're going to court on Saturday mornings. You know, you might not want the best players out there. You just want guys that could do what they needed to do to win. You know, and every time, you know, you get out there and you're picking teams, most of the time it was like, you know, you put the, I mean, if you're a real competitor, you want the other team to have another good player. I want somebody to guard, but I yeah. want to have guys on my team that could move the ball and screen for us. And so much, I, I mean, maybe as a hooper, just so much of my life, I just go back to this notion of Saturday morning at the police station, trying to get a run in and trying to get step on with my five guys that I could trust to go out here and perform. Oh man, 100%. So I'm gonna give a shout right now to my man, Kevin Santelli. Kevin Santelli is an older gentleman. He may have a bit of a pot belly. Um, he can jump uh, to, in the words of the late, great John Thompson, he could barely jump over a piece of paper. I will put Kevin on my team every time. Me and Kevin have won so many games out here. The brother knows how to play. He ain't giving up no layups. He's creating extra possessions. Like it, it's those type of dudes on the court and in life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in life, like, and, and I try to look at that and be that kind of person as well. You know, I mean, I've been a scorer when I was good, you know, but you can't just be that. What else can I add, you know, other than putting the ball in the basket? So I think that these lessons that we bring back, the, like that's why basketball is useful beyond just getting us a scholarship or some attention or some swag or, or things like that. Like basketball can teach us about life. And these days in the environment, it's so easy for the money and the attention to, to drown all that out. But if we take it back, like you said, man, to just the basic essence of the game, going out there and competing with people who understand and having self-awareness about ourselves and what we understand about ourselves, what we have to do. If we can take it back to that, man, it can provide a lot for us throughout our lives. Yeah, you know, you, you had a chance to cover... Um, you got the NC, the only autobiography of John Thompson. As we start kind of segue into basketball as life and, and the transitions that it has. Uh, and, you know, I came as a shadow um, was your book. Uh, excellent read. If you haven't had a chance to read it, I probably sent it to about six or seven of my friends um, because I felt like it was a must have for, for all coaches, but specifically black coaches. Let's talk a little bit about the book. Some of the things you learned about, about John Thompson. Um, and, and let's dive into that a little bit. Oh, man. Well, I was very fortunate to have been chosen to help him tell his story. And he was a black coach. You know, a lot of people who are younger now don't really understand the atmosphere around basketball and around sports and media at that time. There were, you know, to be a black coach in that era was just astounding. There were so few. There were none who were successful on a national level. Um, and for him to step into that role in the 70s and 80s was incredible. And then to be successful at the highest level, to win a national championship with Georgetown and to do it while being so uncompromising in his advocacy. Now it's cool to put your fist up, to take a kneel at the to, to kneel during the national anthem, um, to speak out against social injustice. But when Coach Thompson did it, he had something to lose. His job, his reputation, his players, and it did cost him a lot. Um, and so... That's a brief background for our younger listeners about who Coach John Thompson was at Georgetown University and, and how important he was. And so, you know, just to fast forward to me working with him, he wanted to sum up his career. He had been so misrepresented and stereotyped throughout his whole life. And he always just kept it moving. He didn't 
battle it in the moment. He had a mission to accomplish, and that was what he was focused on. So he wanted to tell his side of the story and define himself, and that's what I helped him do in his book. And so I think that what the importance of him is today is he was really a bridge between eras. So this is a man who was mentored by and played for Red Auerbach, and rest in power to the late, great Bill Russell, who just passed away this week. Um, Bill Russell was a teammate of John Thompson's and a mentor to him in terms of black identity. And so John Thompson took that era and all the lessons that he learned then when the NBA was segregated, like, and they had quotas for the maximum amount of black players. When, when coach Thompson got in, you could barely have three or four black guys on a team. It just didn't happen. Coach Thompson was on the sidelines when the Celtics in 1964 or five put the first all black starting five on the court. (laughs) And so, so you fast forward to that and coach Thompson gave us Allen Iverson, you know, and when I say gave us Allen Iverson for the young people who don't know, AI had some problems and was targeted racially as a youth and was sentenced to jail unjustly. And Nobody would give him a scholarship except John Thompson. Nobody would take a risk on this young man. So he bridges those two eras, Red Auerbach, Bill Russell, Allen Iverson. And without him, we don't get an AI. We don't get to this era of black empowerment that we're in in sports right now. That's his role. Yeah, the black identity of the American athlete is obviously it's been revolutionary. It's like really changed the world. Um, like you talked about hip hop culture being everything in the NBA right now and really why it's such a marketing agent um, and it has so much power is because of the connection with with urban communities. And you, it's, you can't ignore John Thompson's um, John Thompson's ability in that to, to help that move forward. Um, you know, when you talk about John Thompson, you talk about black identity. Um, it's and again, for our younger listeners out there, they probably don't even recognize the, the full impact of it. Um, but I remember those eighties and I remember that during the eighties, like watching those games and how he was depicted, you know, as this disruptor, as this person who didn't want to get along with people. Um, but then as you grow as a black, as a black coach and now a seasoned black coach as I am, it, was, it always seemed to be much more now about protecting his players from the from the negativity that was out there. And, you know, the media at the time, mostly white, not many black writers out there, authors out there really had a responsibility to protect them. Um, did you feel that when you connect with him? A hundred percent. And he protected a lot of his players in his book. Like he was very mindful of only saying the good things about his guys, you know, he really did not want to reveal the weaknesses of his players, even 30 and 40 and 50 years later, you know, he uh, read the Allen Iverson chapter. And by the way, Allen Iverson is the only player who gets his own chapter in coach Thompson's book. And we're talking about a guy who coached Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Patrick Ewing, Patrick Ewing is his favorite player. And, and in coach Thompson's words, the greatest Georgetown basketball player of all time, but AI got his own chapter. And we all know AI had a, had a lot of difficult moments in his life. Coach Thompson elevated and uplifted Allen in that book only and strictly. And so he was very much a protector. I wish more of today's coaches would feel the same way about their guys, but the money and the winning is so crazy that the coaches, you know, um, there's a conflict between doing what's best for the kid and the coach doing what's best for himself. Jamie, and I know that you know all about that. Oh yeah. And yeah. So you know, I- it, it's tough. I always, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't feel very conflicted with it. I feel like my responsibility, in large part because of guys like Nolan Richardson, because of John Thompson, 
I always felt my responsibility was to our players. And however the media would depict me, you know, like a lot of times they would depict me as like a soft, like I'm a soft, soft coach or whatever, you know, um, when I don't think any of my players would ever say that. I don't think there's any softness that lives here, you know, um, but I just wouldn't be out at a podium after a guy went one for nine and blame the game on him. And, you know, I mean, players are doing everything they can to help our team be at their very best. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect every single night. Again, they're not commodities. They're not stocks. They're not bonds. Like they're people. And they, what we're asking them to do is hard. And I think the best coaches really understand that, you know, I hate to watch a guy throw someone under the bus. You know, it's just like, man, you know, like that, that guy believes in you. That guy needs you to be there for him. Again, watching a guy like John Thompson, I learned a lot. You know, I didn't get a chance to interact with Coach Thompson maybe five times in my life. Um, and, and I was, I will tell you this, I was so nervous to beat him for the first time, you know, I mean, because you just look at it with such reverence, you know, I mean, the way he moved up and down the sideline, but also in the way that he connected and held his players, you know, like he was intimidating to the opponents, but you could tell he wasn't intimidating to his team. And that's a really challenged component that only people that, that have been in those locker rooms can understand you're doing a lot of stuff with those people every day to be able to, to have that duality as a person. Yeah, man. You know, I really like what you said about, you know, how you relate to your players. And it reminds me of something that coach said in his book. He said, I had to absorb a lot of their mistakes as mine, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that where it's tough to be a, a coach right now at any level, you know, I'm going to send a shout to a great high school basketball coach, Mr. Larry McKenzie in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who just retired after 42 years in coaching. And this is a man who won six state championships in Minnesota, four straight, and then two at another school. And he said, you know, the game as it is now, coaching at the high school level with kids moving around, the parents overbearing, um, you know, I got to give NIL money to get kids to come to my school. In high school, mind you, like he said, you know, I have to move on now. I've done my time and, and this atmosphere, it's, it's, uh, the kids are almost uncoachable. So, you know, the jobs that you all have in high school, college, you know, are very, very difficult. And I think that, and I hope that coaches really get into it for the right reasons to help young people. That's what made coach Thompson so great. His main goal, he was an educator at heart, not a businessman, not out for himself. And hopefully the people listen to this podcast. And, you know, that's one thing I always liked about you, Jamie on is that it was clear your care for young people and that you understood you're getting 18 year old boys and hopefully they'll walk out from under your umbrella as mature young men. Yeah. You I know? think a big and, part and of that's what like- it's about. Yeah, a big part of it is not making it about you, you know, and, you know, I do worry about the state of the game in that sense. I mean, you know, when Coach Thompson was, was in the 80s, I mean, most of these guys made very little money from the universities. And really how the shoe game really started to come into college basketball was because they were paying the coaches um, to have their teams wear the shoes. You know, it wasn't even a university deal or a basketball team deal. It was started with the coaches. That's how the coaches made the majority of their money. They would speak at Adidas camps and in Nike camps, and and so that whole dynamic has changed so much. And now the universities pay the pay the coaches, but it's just such a different uh, it's just such a different world than what we're in. But again, I think understanding, you know, now that the money's so big, there's so many people that I meet that just are excited about having a chance to wear that polo in the ACC or Big East or Big Ten, and then when they become head coaches, 
you know, they're just so excited about the paycheck that they're getting and the paycheck is great. And I think I understand, I understand that, but man, I just love teaching and coaching and you know, like the, the paycheck's awesome. I mean, you do that, you do the work for, for free, you know, they pay you for the, for the BS. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I think mm. that's the thing I do worry about when I talk to young coaches, cause they're so primed to try to climb the ladder to, to get paid. And I'm like, man, like if you're not coaching, teaching and loving and caring, um, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a tough life for you because that's where you really find your little wins. Yeah, man. And I hope that, I think that all coaches know that that's how they're supposed to be. And I think that some of them even try to be that way. The question is, are you really able to have that genuine connection with the players? And, you know, I've had two kids coming through division one basketball so far. I do my job. I interact with a lot of parents and a lot of players and I'm concerned about the state of the game in terms of coaches for those who are genuine and can really connect with these young people. To me, that's the most important quality a coach can have is can you build and create a genuine relationship with a kid? And you probably don't have that much in common with, with this young man, you know, um, the majority of coaches. And again, you know, uh, you know, the majority of coaches don't come from the same backgrounds as their players do. And so, you know, how do you bridge those gaps and how do you understand this young person? And, and, and the, you know, a lot of these kids can be really infuriating in the things that they <laughs> don't do right. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, like, man, what, like I got four kids, man, like, man, I love you. You're my, my blood, but what is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, how do you get past that? So it's a man. I have so much respect and appreciation for the coaches who sacrifice and do a good job and help these kids realize their dreams playing basketball at any level, man, playing high school basketball is, is a great experience. You might never put on another uniform again, but you had a coach who taught you and believed in you. So shout to all the coaches out there who are doing it the right way. Last call with Jamie and Christian is powered by speakeasy for sports. The first exclusive platform, for sports professionals by sports professionals. We connect you directly with top performers in the industry and allow you to build the relationships that will help grow your career. Think of it as the Final Four, NBA Summer League, or any other sports convention, all now from your laptop and phone 24-7, 365. Careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. Join the Speakeasy family today at speakeasyforsports.com. Yeah, I think we have this interesting dynamic that's going on in, in all of college sports. You have decision makers who you have decision makers who, like you said, maybe didn't play, maybe came up through fundraising or student services that are now making decisions. Um, you know, and a lot of times those decision makers don't look like you or I. Um, so there's this, you know, and now like this is a we're in a very learned society. So you can learn a lot um, by reading, studying and doing different things. But there's nothing there's nothing that can replace learning from being in an environment. Right. And so, you know, Coach Phelan, uh, my college coach, you know, one of the all time winningest coaches in college basketball history, he'd always say a little knowledge is dangerous. You know, and so now you have leaders that have a little knowledge that they're a little bit more aware. They know a little bit more, but they don't have the full scope of it all. And now you have coaches who grew up in those environments. They understand a little bit more. They understand some of the challenges. And a lot of time it's, it's about being able to bridge that gap in their learning 
to help them understand what a tough task it is because they all want you to win right away. You know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to do that some, and so, sometimes we didn't do that, right? Um, but it, if you can bridge the gap in between their learning, it gives you an opportunity to really make an impact. Yeah, and you know, you said a key word, man, learning. Like, it's a lifelong journey of learning that we're on. I'm still learning tons of stuff about the world, about myself, but we have to have an attitude of humility and seeking the, the knowledge, like you said, you know, throughout our lives. And I'm willing to give someone a chance to learn, to even learn on the job because everybody gets that, that job might get promoted where this is the first time they've done it. You know, like they might not be experienced at it. It doesn't mean they can't, but they have to learn how to do it. So I'm definitely willing to give people that, that opportunity um, to learn, but people also have to be self-aware and know what they don't know. You know, and so um, for all of those administrators out there, and again, to get back to this Hooper thing, I don't want to be too hardcore with it and say, if you didn't hoop, you can't rock in this whole basketball world of ours. There are some great leaders and administrators and other people in the game of basketball who didn't play. I think those are the most self-aware people out there to do well in it and to understand yourself. And so if you're willing to learn, and 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 understand and seek information and knowledge then that's the route to take um if you want to add something and not just be here and taking advantage yeah you know and, and as we as we talk about learning i think one of the best platforms we have right now is anscape um i like i really enjoy diving on that you know when i anytime i see an article from any any one of your collection of, of writers um i just learn a ton and what i enjoy about what you got what you guys have a chance to do that anscape is like you, I feel like you have the freedom to write what you want to write and, and to kind of go and do it with how you want to do it. Can you talk a little about the, I mean, I know the undefeated to Anscape, you could talk a little bit about just the progression that you've been able to make in, in carving out this niche. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for asking number one and shout to the crew. I'm so thankful to work with such a talented collection of journalists that we have. Um, it's really amazing. Particularly I started out, in this, you know, uh, in media in 1986 at a local newspaper, very, very few, I never saw black, other black journalists, you know, and then as my career progressed, we saw a bit more and a bit more. And now to have an entire platform dedicated to our work and our viewpoint is just tremendous. Um, so it was really the brainchild of John Skipper, who is a terrific media executive and was running ESPN at the time. And he understood that uh, the value of a black perspective as curated by black people, you know, and so shout to Skip, you know, he put together a whole crew and we, we assembled this, this sort of Voltron superpower of, of black journalists. And I was fortunate enough to, to be chosen to join them. And then right after we started, Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And so that was a great bit of timing that really allowed us to prove our value. You know, it was sort of like um, if, uh, if, if you're on a team, right, and you know you could play, but you're not really getting that burn, and then somebody turns an ankle. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm starting, and then I get busy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, okay, this was all good. And we started it. The first name was undefeated. Yeah, this is nice. We got these, oh, Colin, oh, Kaepernick, the whole sports world is getting turned upside down over one guy taking a knee to protest injustice in America. And, and we went, we went in, you know, and um, sort of the, the end point of that, if you, so we kept going 
and I'll bring it to right now. My brother and colleague, Jason Reed, just dropped a new book on Anscape Books. It's our first release, and it's called Rise of the Black Quarterback. And it really charts the progression and empowerment of Black men to be able to play the most important and high-profile position in sports. It hurts me as a hooper to say that quarterback is the, is the most important position, yeah. but, you know, it is what it is. And so, so you know, for, for us to be able to provide that perspective and viewpoint and, 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 and these articles and documentaries and books and TV shows from our perspective is, is amazing. And I'm, I'm really appreciate the opportunity to work with Anscape. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, we talk about Colin Kaepernick and let's just dive in there a little bit because like looking at her in reflection, you know, to where the country be, where the country was about a year and a half ago, to where it was then it was like that was like the you know i feel like in the history books if they write the history books the way that they should write the history books right um that'll be like the the that will be what opened the door to this understanding of what was going on in a lot of these different societies and i'm not sure that was his intent the int- you know that to that level um have you had any chance to communicate with colin or any of that i wish i have not colin plays it close to the best he, yeah. he keeps a lot of mystery in his movements, but um, ESPN has partnered with him to do uh, some tremendous things. There's a docu-series about his young life, and there's more stuff on the way with Colin and the great Ava DuVernay. And so, um, you know, I think you're absolutely right about him making history. And I agree with you, Jay, that it may not be what he intended. I don't know if he knew it was going to get that big. And I really respect in his first comments about it. I think, um, can't remember the journalist who asked him, uh, but he was like, hey man, I see you're not out here for the anthem, what's going on? And he didn't tweet about it at first, he just did it, you know? And he said, hey man, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it to protest injustice and police brutality. And if it costs me football, I'm okay with that. And it did. Yeah. He gave up his career and it started something rolling and it really shook the foundations of the most powerful and lucrative sports league in the world. And so, you know, um, I really respect it. And I'm glad that I've been been here to to sort of witness it really and to dip my toe into the waters of chronicling it a little bit and to see it happen because it was a much needed change. Yeah, I'll tell you what was challenging. I remember when, when he did that, I was working at Mount St. Mary's. Mount St. Mary's University is the second oldest Catholic institution in the country. Um, so very conservative. My president, who was an amazing, is an amazing president. It was, is a, was a brigadier general in the army. Um, so it just, and I remember when it happened and, and we had these conversations with our teams. I was big on that. Um, having co- conversations with our team about what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, and, and it's, it's challenging as a black head coach, who has very conservative leadership who basically pays your bills. Um, I don't know if they would have been comfortable with our players kneeling. Um, I don't know if they would have been comfortable with that kind of protest. And in particular, because it was spun in a way that was against our military. And so, you know, I, I would receive a ton of criticism because our guys maybe didn't protest, mm. but it's like, I don't know if I could have done what Colin Kaepernick was was willing to do 
You know, I mean, that's why I have so much respect for him and those that have the the toughness to be able to do that. Like he yeah, said, man. I'm willing to give up football for it. You know, I wasn't necessarily willing at the time to say, I'm going to give up my next opportunity to do that. And I think that's really challenging. I think that's why race and sport are so complicated. And I think it's really hard for most people to understand that. Yeah. You know, Jamie, and I really respect that you are, you know, are willing to come out in public and talk about the situation you were in and what it could have cost you and the calculations that you had to make. And, and, you know, I, I respect that a lot. That takes a lot of courage to say, I probably could not have done or had my team do what Colin Kaepernick did, because let's face it, you were early in your career. You know, you didn't have the leverage that that some of these other people did in terms of, you know, resources, money, things like that. And and you were really in a position that the majority of us as black people are in. We holding on to what we got, man. We fought to get to get what we got now. And am I going to, you know, what 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 now? Like, can I really let it all slip away on principle? And so I don't look down on the choices that you made. Or, or didn't make at all. And, um, you know, to recognize that I think is, is really important. And, and it really emphasizes the sacrifices and the bravery of Kaepernick. Yeah. You know, it yeah, really felt, does. And I really felt that. And then we got the GW and it's a much more liberal environment. And we had this discussion and we had certain guys, Neil, we had certain guys stand. We kind of did the bridge between it and you still receive criticism because maybe I'm not kneeling, you know? Um, but again, it's the complexities of what you're trying to battle. You know, am I making this about myself? I'm making it about our team. Um, I'm not saying that it's a perfect, what I, I think what I'm trying to say is I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it. Um, yeah. But I also yeah. will say this. I don't feel like white coaches receive the same kind of criticism on whatever they decided. And I had to mull over that for three or four weeks, um, you know, on what to do and what not to do and recognize that I was going to receive a criticism either direction. Yeah. You know, the guy across the way from me um, did not have to worry about that same kind of criticism. Very much so. And, you know, Coach John Thompson would not have kneeled for the anthem and said in his book, I'm going to stand for the anthem because I have a lot of veterans and I respect the armed forces. But those who choose not to stand for the anthem, I really respect because that's what America is all about. You know, it's funny, man, but people forget. And this was one of the articles, one of my favorite articles that I was able to do for the undefeated. But when Kaepernick first took an anthem, I'm old enough to remember the great, the fantastic, the walking bucket, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Yes. Young people, Google this man and watch him give Michael Jordan that work. <laughs> you know, this guy was six one, shooter, crazy. And he was a Muslim. And he had religious issues with the way that. Uh, the United States was prosecuting these unjust wars overseas. And he protested during the anthem and was ran out of the league. Yeah. And so I wrote about an article about Mahmoud. But, you know, my wife and I, we were on our first date. It was a Houston Rockets game. My wife was in, in graduate school down there in Houston. And we didn't even talk about this. This was when Mahmoud was protesting the anthem. And when they played the anthem, we, we looked at each other and then we just sat there. <laughs> and that's maybe that's when our future marriage was set. But um, <laughs> these days, you know, I'll stand for the anthem. You know, yeah. I mean, they're playing it before all my kids games. I'm at games, you know, uh, you know, at work. And 
I will stand because of a variety of reasons, but I really respect those who choose to protest, such as my son's college basketball team. You know, um, at Drexel University, they kneeled uh, at some cost, and, and their coach, shout to Coach Spiker, white guy, he took some heat for empowering his players to do what they felt was right. And, and I think that that's the way it should go. Whatever the decision that we make, stand, kneel, fist in the air, whatever it is, as long as it stays respectful, let's, let's acknowledge that and let people do what they feel is right. Yeah, that's the beauty of being in a country that we're in, you know? Um, and, and that's not to say like, you know, I mean, the national anthem before sporting games, before sporting events, uh, it's just, that's an interesting notion in itself. Yes, it you is. Um, yes, it know, is. And, and, and we don't have to dive into that today, but that's an interesting notion of nationalism. Um, and, you know, I've, I've coached players from teams all around the world. I've had guys from, from Africa, from Canada, from South Africa, from South America, Australia, New Zealand, you know, I mean, I feel like everyone should be represented because it's the United States. Right. So um, but we could talk about it another time. But you, you kind of get where I'm going with that. And, you know, I think the the level of judgment and criticism that was coming along with it uh, and not the true meaning of why it was happening. Um, I am excited about this age in American culture where I feel like so many athletes are having an activism activist's heart. And really diving in, you know, you talk about like Maya Moore and how she really dove in there for, um, for for people being wrongly imprisoned. We're seeing a lot more of that, and I, and I'd love to talk to you about this and get your perspective on this. I don't think our athletes are getting credit for being more than just athletes right now, and they're really changing the world that we live in. They are, man, and it's one of the best things that I've seen happening in sports, and it's been sort of rapid. I'll trace it back to Trayvon Martin, who was murdered uh, a little more than 10 years ago. And that really woke a lot of people up. And then I'll give a lot of credit to LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and the rest of the Miami Heat, who made sort of the first modern athlete statement about injustices when they took a photo and posted on social media of themselves wearing hoodies to show solidarity with Trayvon. And when the, the, the best player in the world, LeBron, with all of the endorsements at risk and all of that was able to make that statement and stand out, everyone else took notice. And then we had this Black Lives Matter movement, which started with the death of Trayvon and then gained momentum. And then the end point to that was George Floyd. And we see how that literally changed the world. And so the athletes were part of that and they saw LeBron stepping out in front. They saw Kobe wearing the I Can't Breathe shirt for Eric Garner and all these other great players. And that inaugurated really a new era of black athlete activism. And it's been tremendous, you know, it's been tremendous. I mean, we're talking about Kaepernick. At the end of the day, the NFL had to really capitulate on its stance of trying to squelch out these protests when the murder of George Floyd proved that everything Kaepernick was talking about was right. And the biggest players in the league, Mahomes, you know, all these other guys were like, look, NFL, we've had enough. Like to go from point A to point B, I think proves your point, Jamion, of how, you know, these these young people, young women, uh, Maya Moore, uh, the WNBA was the most activist league in the, you know, in sports. They probably definitely contributed to changing an election outcome in Georgia. 
And so to see athletes going that route has been amazing. And, you know, John Skipper saw it coming, man, and started the, the undefeated, which turned into Anscape. And to be able to, to contribute in some small way to that activism by highlighting it through journalism has been one of the most rewarding things of my career. Yeah, and I think one one of the things that the that the general public maybe doesn't realize is just how well educated our men's basketball, women's basketball, and our football players are. You know, because you know in those sports you have to go to college in order to become a professional. Um, you know, in in hockey and baseball you don't necessarily have to. So, like, sort of over the last fifty years, we've educated more people um, at the highest level, at the collegiate level. Um, than, than any other sport. And that's really exciting. And so, uh, you know, knowing that knowledge on the inside, no matter how some, sometimes it's portrayed, right. Knowing that there was only going to be a matter of time before the activism was met with such intelligence, like we're witnessing now. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's amazing. And I love to see my own children creating their awareness of the world and what's important to them and understanding justice, understanding racial issues, understanding economic issues, um, you know, to see a young person blossom and become aware of the world around them and figure out how they are going to contribute to the world outside of, of the game. It's, it's an amazing thing. And that's, you know, I would imagine that that's one of the most rewarding parts about coaching. Uh, Jay, man, you've probably got people who come back to you who you've coached years ago now. And you're like, wow, like when I met you, you barely had hair on your lip, <laughs> now, you, you know, and now you're this grown person doing amazing things that probably have nothing to do with basketball. And it's just, you know, um, that's one of the things that I, I really admire and, and envy about your profession. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a great profession when done right and done with intention. Um, but I envy yours, you know, and I envy what you get a chance to do. I, I want to dive back into your work a little bit because, mm -hmm. Your work has been so impactful and also entertaining. And I think that's like a challenge is trying to figure out how you can be entertaining and impactful. You know, is, you know, what people maybe don't realize is that of all the stories you get a chance to print, there's always some stories that you don't get a chance to put out there. Are there any stories that come to mind that you loved being a part of that just didn't get a chance to see the light of day? Hmm. <laughs> yes, there are. Um, you know, different things don't happen, man. You can't have your way all the time. You can't always get the, get the rock when you want it. Um, you know, there's been, a, but they're vastly outnumbered by the stories that I got to, you know, that, that are entertaining, like fun is a part of life. We can't always be all serious, you know? And so sometimes you just got to laugh. Sometimes you got to laugh at yourself. Um, you know, I'm some of the stories that I had the most fun with, and I felt that were the most entertaining. I mean, I'll go back shoot, this had to be about 25 years ago when they first launched women's basketball in this country. And I said to my, and at the time, like my game was at a, at a real solid level. Uh, you know, I'm 27, you know, playing, I'm living in New York city. I'm playing pretty high level playground basketball in New York city. And I said to myself, you know, I know in the abstract that these women basketball players, and this is before any professional basketball for women in the United States. I know in the abstract, you know, on an intellectual level that they're great and they're better than me. But as a man, I'm also self-aware enough to recognize that the, the man in me thinks that I could beat any woman. So let's have a game. And so we played a game of three on three. I got a couple of my homeboys and we played um, Carolyn Jones, an Olympian, 
um uh man shoot there was a little guard named Roundtree who played with us Sharice Sam and Crystal Robinson great women's players and we played three and three and got spit anked <laughs> and for any man who thinks that I'm whack for losing to some women come play me and I'll give you that work yo and it was just so that was a lot of fun and and at this point the whole thing about oh woman play me I think is played out and passe it's 25 years later they've proven themselves they don't have to play some scrub dude to prove how great they are one of the greatest teams I've ever seen play in any sport is the women's basketball Olympic team. I've been fortunate to cover a couple of Olympics. I mean, tremendous array of talent. And so that was a lot of fun, man. I mean, I'm getting paid to play basketball. Um, you know, you have fun. Sometimes you got to just be light. And here's a pet peeve of mine. Like when we started with this goat business, Jamion, it was the goat, Ali. I am the greatest, yep. which meant he will knock anybody out on this planet. You know what I'm saying? Jordan, I am the greatest basketball. He didn't really put that on himself, but, you know, the greatest basketball player of all time or Bill Russell as the greatest or Kareem. And now people use GOAT just for their homeboy who, who hit a shot on Instagram yeah. and they'll tweet a GOAT emoji and it got watered down. So I did an article. Hey, man, we got too many goats running around. We got herds <laughs> of goats all over the place, man. Let's, let's pump your brakes. So, you know, you got to have fun with it and just um, and it's nice to laugh sometimes before we go back to all of the problems of the world. Yeah, no, it's it's a great profession that you get a chance to do. Uh, again, we're with Jesse Washington, senior writer for ESPN and skate provider. Uh, you know, Jesse, talk a little bit about what you're working on now. I know you're always, you're a guy that's always working on a project or two. So can we dive a little bit of what you're working on now? Sure, man. I'll mention two things. Number one is, uh, and this is a great thing about Anscape, is that we are not limited to sports. And so some of the things that I've done go beyond that. And I'm doing a series now on reparations. Reparations is the concept that due to slavery and ongoing discrimination, Black people in America, Black Americans, deserve to be compensated by the government for what has been taken from us. And when I went into this series, I was like, man, that don't make no sense. You know, and I'm as pro-black as they come. I was like, man, that ain't going to work. But I'm learning, you know. And so I'm writing about the issue of reparations, which is gaining momentum really across the country. For example, in Evanston, Illinois, they documented government-sponsored discrimination, which depressed the wages and real estate values in black neighborhoods. And as a result, if you are a black person in Evanston, Illinois, whose parents or grandparents lived there for during this period, you can receive $25,000 in city funds oh, wow. towards a real estate purchase or home improvements or things like that. So this concept is going around the nation seeking compensation for what has been taken from black Americans. I'm doing a series on that. It's been a, it's been an education and um, really interesting and it's ongoing. So that's one thing. And then I'm gonna give you some breaking news you know, do, 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 do. But um, I, I did not intend to write another autobiography after um, Coach John Thompson, because how do you, you know, do something uh, as monumental as that? And then uh, the founder of Clutch Sports and agent, Rich Paul, was looking for someone to help him tell his story. And so um, I am writing Rich Paul's autobiography right now. It should be out next year. And this man has a tremendous and unknown life story. That's one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. 
for him to be doing what he's doing now is almost unbelievable. And the perception of Rich Paul is that, oh, he's just LeBron's friend. Like LeBron gave him everything. And the only reason he's had any success is that he's down with LeBron. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so I'm going to leave that out there. I'm not going to go into detail. You're going to have to buy my man's book. But Rich Paul is an extraordinary individual. And his life experiences before he met LeBron, when they were both young men, has um, really equipped him to become uh, the number two sports basketball agency in terms of player contract value and the number one agency in terms of influence and impact. And the last thing I'll say about Rich Paul and what that he's doing and LeBron is doing is that really this is the logical endpoint of the empowerment of the black athlete, where our labor has created these industries, college basketball, college football, pro sports is built on the backs of black athletic achievement. But we have never until this point been able to participate and where the real money is at, and where the real control is at. And that's what Rich Paul and Clutch Sports represents. That's what LeBron represents. Um, it's the natural progression. And I think y'all are all gonna enjoy his book. It's uh, The title is Lucky Me, and this time next year, you can go out and buy it. Oh man, that's gonna be exciting. He's a guy that's such a fascinating character. Um, like you said, entertainment and sports, because he sort of moves in silence, but makes big moves. And oh, man. You know, what they've been able to do together, you know, uh, is, you know, like one thing you know about LeBron is like he, he's not hanging with anybody that's not making it better. You know, I mean, that's the one thing is like, you know, being connected with him obviously gives you a level of status. But them being able to progress the way they've been able to progress. I'm fascinated to read this, you know, beside every Batman, there's a, there's someone that's helping Batman become Batman that they really need. And, you know, and then what always happens is, you know, one, one superhero builds another superhero and then they stand together and then they help each other. And I feel like that can be the story of Rich Paul and LeBron James. Uh, I, I can't wait to read it. You always do a great job of writing it. We appreciate your time um, joining us today, Jesse. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Last Calls. Well, powered by Sport Speak Easy for Sport. Man, thank you, Jamie. I love what you're doing. Keep on going. Can't wait to see what the future and all of the wonderful accomplishments that are in store for you. I love it. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on the Last Call, powered by Speak Easy, where careers grow through relationships, and relationships grow through Speak Easy. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to connecting with you soon.